Welcome to the Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com. Joining today's podcast is Travis Herger, the Phillies minor league pitching coordinator. Welcome, Travis. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you have an amazing background. I was looking, you're currently in your third year as a minor league pitching coordinator for the Phillies after serving uh, as assistant minor league coordinator for uh, for about a year of December 19. That's correct. Uh, yep. Before that, you spent seven and a half years as a head baseball coach at Northern Iowa Community College in Mason City, Iowa, a team that appeared in three JUCO World Series, and you had 10 players drafted over five years. That's amazing. Uh, you had served as a pitching coach for eight years prior to becoming head coach. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Juco coaches. They have to get guys ready in about a year, and they have to compete. And it's a short window. How did you manage to accomplish all that at a junior college? <laughs> um, really good players, really good assistant coaches, um, tremendous support from um, a very uh supporting wife um but also a very supporting administration too um we're in north iowa so it wasn't exactly like a, a baseball hotbed in terms of weather and you know being in california or florida or texas wherever it may be but um you know really it was a, a we were grinders um that, that's and we're very blue collar um hard working uh that was sort of the you know the type of player that we wanted to get but um, I had really, really good assistant coaches that actually, fun fact, four of those um, have been in or still are in uh, professional baseball serving as a coordinator or uh, a positional coach uh, with their respective organization. So um, that's something I take great pride in is you can't do it by yourself. It takes it takes people. It takes a village. And I was really fortunate to, to have what we had and uh, really proud of what we did there. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I have to give a shout out to my good friend, Eric Brown, who was the head coach at Suffolk Community College. Uh, they went to the Junior College World Series. Uh, his pitching coach, uh, Heath Terry, mm -hmm. uh, I, I know what they do, and I know that they set the culture and the tone for their team. So when you get your assistance, uh, that kind of culture is coming from you. And I think it's a testament uh, to your abilities if they – continue on like they have, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, culture these days, uh, I, I know it becomes sort of buzzwordy, but it, it's really, it's true. It's valuable. You know, we're building yeah. it internally uh, in our, in our minor league program. Uh, Preston Mattingly, our farm director came over two years ago and, you know, we wanted to build this culture of, uh, we call it protect the standard. And there's a standard in place for staff and players and holding people accountable, uh, being hard, you know, being a hard worker is, is really valuable, very similar to the things that I learned as a coach in junior college. So um, yeah. I think culture is really important. It can get you, it can get you very far and it's something you can hang your hat on as well. I, I remember, I'll never forget this. Uh, I would go in and help the, the uh, pitchers when uh, my son was in Suffolk Community College. Mm -hmm. And so he would do his, his throws from the, from the mound, right? This is inside. And uh, so I'm standing on the side, uh, waiting for the next pitcher to come. And some guy walks in late. 
And Coach Brown said something to him like, uh, why were you late? Nothing nasty, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he told him to go in the back here. There's some workouts going in the back. Now, my son was in this back room and the door was closed and all the other guys were working there. Uh, I hear this guy saying curse him and he slams the door and he goes in. I look over at Coach Brown like, what was that? I didn't say anything. Uh, I asked my son later what happened when he slammed the door. He said, well, I walked up to him and I said, we don't do that here. And that was yep. the end of it. And it was yep. what happens when you get a good coach like Coach Brown or, or yourself, it sets a tone and they kind of moderate themselves. It's like, this is exactly. the culture. This is what we do here. You know? No, exactly. And, and players can drive that. And that, that's that's when you know um, you know the the processes you have in place and the beliefs that you have set are, are working. And I mean, you, you say you're you're watching a practice inside. That, that take I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore uh, when it comes to spring training and um, you know getting guys prepared for a season. I always I, I'm sure Coach Brown went through this too and practicing indoors and then having to go outside to play your oh. first game. I, I always the analogy I use was it, it's like practicing basketball in a closet and then going heading out <laughs> to the court. That's what practicing baseball is like inside. And and we had to make the most of it. And there's a lot of really good coaches in the north or in, in bad weather climates that they have to get creative. And and I think that plays into what they can do in their programs and the success that they have. It, and it, it's sort of a badge of honor that we have. Well, yeah, that's why I said when I see the results that you accomplish with your uh, coaches and your players, uh, I know what it takes to do that. And it's it's a lot harder than when you have a, uh, you know, a $20 million facility out where it's sunny all the time. Uh, Very true. Those guys have to work hard, too, but you kind of have an extra burden. No uh, I also think it makes your, your players harder. No doubt. Uh, I think I saw that once when Stony Brook went to the World Series. I remember they were playing LSU in the regional super regionals. And I remember it started raining. All right. And the LSU guys, they're very good, but they were having trouble commanding. Mm -hmm. Now the Stony Brook pitchers were just fine. They're used to playing in the rain and the cold, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I always said borderline child abuse. So what we would do with some, you know, some games and playing in, you know, sub-zero temps and oh. uh, wind chill and snow flying. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was awful. Yeah, but it yeah. Did, my it, son, it, it, it them. yeah, like my son, we used to buy the hot hands. Yep. And he would put those in his back pocket. So in between, he put his hands in his pockets to get them warm, and then take him out to build the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny though it, it'll be 70 or 60 in florida and everyone's wearing winter coats and and it, even myself and it's my man i've gone soft now <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the reason i started this show was uh, twofold one is I, I made this command tracker target mm -hmm. uh that's a, a smart target i i based it on a design that i used with my own son that i that worked and he has gone pretty far uh, and, and I believe in it, but also that I believe that there's too much emphasis on just velocity when you go online and read. And all of us know that that's not the only thing that will have you succeed. You need velocity, but you need command, you need character, you need uh, mental toughness, a lot of things. So I thought, since I talk to my friends about that kind of thing all the time, why don't we have a podcast? We can all talk about these ideas. 
it and it'll also promote my target, which I want to do. But mm -hmm. I'm not promoting something I don't believe in, so I think it's yep. a good good thing, you know. Well, uh, I, I think it's a tool too. That's one. It's practical. Um, it's it's feedback. It's gamified. Um, and I think this this day and age with sort of the generation that we coach and and they they want feedback. Um, and I, I think with your tool and being able to research a little bit and, and sort of the things that we do uh, that I've done in the past and what we do with the Phillies is uh, it gives them feedback. It challenges them. Uh, too many times you see bullpens happen and guys are in just a very comfortable state and right. they're not just challenged. Just about that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when you, when you get out in between the white lines and you get a hitter in the box and you get base runners on or, yeah, the elements, you know, the, the weather elements or the mound isn't in right. great the, shape. The, the competition rises, your focus has exactly. to rise. Exactly. And then uh, I put in the multiplayer mode. Um, well, I won't say which team wanted that. I put They wanted a feature. I put that and it turned out to be a great feature because I uh, guys like uh, uh, Casey Mulholland in Tampa was using it mm -hmm. with his guys and they're competing against each other and they're getting a score. And it's, you know, getting the bragging rights, a high five in. But at the same time, you're actually measuring what their command level is. And I think that competition is great for getting focus and mental toughness and all the other things that are needed, you know? 100%. Man, these like, yeah. guys love to compete, um, you know, whether it's video games these days, like they, they love to compete, they go crazy over it. And I think the more, the more you can gamify things and, and have a, a winner, a loser, uh, a consequence, whatever it may be, guys will, they'll ramp it up and that focus and that, that intent that they need being intentional uh, with the task at hand. I think that will raise the bar for them. Yeah. I, I think the other big thing that you mentioned it was accountability because mm -hmm. uh, too often I think bullpens are thrown without, they think they threw a good bullpen, but it's like, well, what did you really accomplish today? Did you really hit your spots? Did you know, they, they're not being held accountable. Well, when you have a score, it holds you accountable. Now, also, when you have a score, if you improved, you know when you improved. Exactly. So I think it's really important. Like, I think another difference is I think people may confuse command and control all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, uh, control is the ability to throw strikes. Yep. Very simple. I say command to me is the ability to throw the ball where you choose in or out of the zone. But that gets uh, like the target. You can set your areas of choice, either one mm -hmm. square or numbers of squares. So it lets you uh, define what levels of command. So like uh, people may confuse a command is that the area you choose that's different for different levels of command. For example, a 12 yep. U pitcher might have a command zone of his choice that's the strike zone plus the shadow zone mm -hmm. high school guy might be a, his command might be splitting the plate in half thrown each side you know uh, a yep. college guy might divide the plate into thirds and that's his command level and then a pro yep. guy might be two squares or like an elite pro guy is a one uh, a five by seven square now yep. i chose five by seven because Five by seven just happens to fit three across and three up in the strike yep. zone. And that's why that's chosen. Uh, so command is still being able to throw in the area you choose, but I think that you are gauging a player's command based upon what levels 
right? I, I mean, have you done similar things? Yeah, I think when you're talking about, and we'll talk about control, right? Like, I think a control is like, hey, gun to my head, I got to throw a strike. I yes. can do it, right? I can get it in the vicinity. And just, really, just in the strike zone. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're trying to generate a, a called strike or, you know, for us, it's, Hey, we, we want the guy to swing and, and hopefully that swing decision for that hitter is late because the later the swing decision for us, probably the better result. So mm -hmm. it's controlling, um, the strike zone essentially. Uh, and we talk about controlling counts and count control, uh, count leverage. And that's where I think command comes into play is yeah. understanding how the ball is going to fly out of my hand and what are my favorable locations per handed hitter and where can I go to get a strike? Where can I go to get a swing and miss, but where can I go if I need weak contact or, Hey, where do I go just to get back into the count? So for us command, it's really hard. Um, it's also not the sexiest thing that you see out there, whether it's social media, Twitter, um, you know, it's more, you know, the velo pops up or, you know, the big sweeping sliders, whatever it may be. And those are all great. It raises the floor. Uh, but at the end of the day, it takes deliberate practice when it comes to command. And so yeah. I think a big thing that we talk about the Phillies is, is creating that environment. And the more that we can put guys into an environment that's challenging, that is going to result in some failure because we can grow from that, then we're, we're going to be we're going to be better off. That's going to carry well, that, over the game. Yeah, that's that's a really great point because what I noticed was when guys first throw to the target that I have, they think they're going to do great. <laughs> and they get humbled really fast. Uh, but then I noticed when they use it after a while, it's they start to be able to narrow in. So they, they develop the skill. But when mm -hmm. they first use it, uh, some of them have a mental block. I've seen high school guys can't hit the target. All right. And then finally they get really focused, start hitting the target. Then they start going in. And I think that's because they don't practice that level of command very often. And they also have to overcome the biggest thing I think you have with command is that you have to have mental confidence and focus mm -hmm. that what's going on in your head, I think has a huge amount to do with your ability to command. Right. hundred percent. And, in, in Philly from, I mean, we have a very like top-down approach. Um, you know, our, our major league staff, our, our big league pitching coach, Caleb Gotham is involved. Yeah, I, know, in I know Caleb. Development. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He's one yeah, of the best awesome. in business and he, he's very uh, integral into what we do in our development. And he brought over from Cincinnati and his time as a pitcher in Vanderbilt, the, the FAH mentality, which is fearlessly attack all hitters. Ours in Philly is PHAH. I'll let the viewers uh, determine the R-rated version of that. But, um, you know, for us, it, it is about mentality. It, it's about our, our yeah. why, essentially, and, and how we're going to create solutions to our problems um, and what we're going to go to and how we're going to develop um, the, the, the pitcher in a holistic manner. And when it comes to command and what we believe, uh, targeting strategies are really important the environment that we that we train in is really important and the things that we value are really important i think something that is really hard about the minor leagues is it's never perfect and you have to be okay with setting up an environment where there is failure and there well, are guys that. yes there are guys <laughs> yeah, at lower levels I, they're 
Yeah, they're developing pitches that they're not comfortable throwing in certain situations. You have to give them a runway to be able to do that. So as they advance and they face better hitters and tougher environments, obviously the big leagues is the ultimate. Uh, they have to be comfortable being able to do that, throwing throwing off speed behind in counts and not just selling out to a heater that they're really good at and throwing 70% of the time. Hey, we need you to throw this change up to this location, to this handed hitter in this in this count. And we're okay with you struggling. If they know that, then they're probably there's probably a bit more buy-in for them to go out and practice this and see growth in front of them. Yeah, I, I have always viewed failure as an opportunity to grow. Yes. Probably one of the best opportunities because you can analyze what went well, what went wrong. If everything goes well all the time, well, how are you going to grow? Mm-hmm. So uh, now if you take failure and don't do anything about it, that's no good. But if you use it as an opportunity to grow, then I think it's really good. Yeah, I think the other piece to the control command part, there, there's so much to control uh, with with your body as well, too. Uh, and you look at deliveries these days and, you know, I think of our our, our big league club uh, with Aaron Nola, who is a tremendous strike thrower. He's one of the best in the business and he's always been that guy. And he doesn't have this elite velocity, this this 98 mile an hour fastball. If he if he wanted to and needed to, he could probably hum it up there six, seven if he needed yeah. to, but he doesn't need to. And the thing about a guy like him is he knows who he is. And I think we get in this velocity rage and craze and all these things, right? And it does raise the floor. But I think the thing that we lose sight of is what is what is the hitter seeing? And even what are they training these days? And so you talk about a guy like Nola that, you know, sits a two to three in a game, you know, flash a four, but there's so many other things to his fastball and Absolutely. that's his extension how the ball flies into the zone, uh, where he releases that ball, and then obviously the movement, and then what he backs it up with. And that comes down to, yes, we, we have all this technology to track things and, and give us information and see where we miss and where we don't miss and what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. But I, I think that's the science of pitching, but the, the art of pitching still hasn't gone away. It's, it's still here. And so control comes down to that emotional control it comes down to your routines, uh, controlling your body, controlling your delivery, knowing who you are. And I think if you can control those things and have a good self-awareness, it's going to it's going to enhance your command in the long run. Yeah. And and know who you are is one of my biggest things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always say in the show uh, before every game, I tell my son, good luck. Be you command and mix. Now. He sits around 91, 92. Mm hmm. All right. According to people online, he should not have been doing so well in going up to AAA, uh, getting a major league start in spring training this year. So uh, we know there are other ways to succeed. Like, for example, the BU thing means to me uh, you have Nolan Ryan or a Chapman. You have a Maddox. You have a Halliday. They're Mm -hmm. all they have their strengths. And that if another pitcher, if you look at another pitcher and try to be him, that's a recipe for Good failure. Luck. You have to be the best version of you. 100%. And if you, you if know. you have that awareness of yourself, it's going to give you the confidence and the, right. the fortitude to be able to go out there and compete at a high level, work through tough situations and not overdo. We talk about getting ahead and throwing strike one. And that's 
not necessarily an issue for some guys. It's sometimes it's put away. I try to be nastier than nasty, or I try to overcreate right. where, Hey, at the end of the day, hitters are going to get themselves out 70, 80% of the time in some levels. If I can just understand who I am, understand my ball flight, understand where I need to start this pitch to get it to finish where I need it to go, then I'm going to be able to have more success and be able to command, you know, the zone, command counts, uh, command situations, and ultimately pitch, pitch deep into ball games or close out ball games, no matter what my role is. Yeah. I mean, if a guy only has control, there's only so mm -hmm. much he could do. He's got a couple gears, uh, just throw a strike and throw a harder strike. Uh, uh, command, I think, opens up the possibilities of what you can do, and especially for uh, put-away pitches, uh, for for uh, claiming parts of the plate, uh, all sorts of things. What other things you think can be done with command that you can't do with control? Uh, I think the one thing is really just um, you know being able to navigate um, and sometimes going off page. I think that's really difficult for some guys. And that goes back kind of the art, right? I have to see what the hitter is trying to right. do here. I have to understand this situation. I also have to, I, I think sometimes guys have a hard time adjusting uh, in, in the moment. And that's where we can lean on our bullpen environment. We can lean on the catchers that catch us to close that feedback loop for us. But we also try to have real stand-ins and and give us feedback because hitters will tell you hey i'm swinging at that thing i see it early hey i don't see that until really late and yeah, so a lot of coaches yeah a lot of coaches say that the uh, batters will let you know how good your pitch is <laughs> exactly so making those real-time adjustments whether that's a targeting strat strategy something on the mound uh something with how i'm gripping the ball um all those things like I think the best of the best do a tremendous job of making those real-time adjustments. And that's, it's a big part of our, our player development. I mean, we all get hung up on stuff and velocity and results, but I think making those pitch to pitch hitter to hitter adjustments when I'm struggling uh, is really what is to me, the separator for a lot of guys when it comes down to control and command. Yeah. Uh, you know, my good friend Emo says, uh, make better pitches instead of only trying to make your pitches better. Exactly. All right. Now, players are only focusing heavily on uh, their stuff and not enough on uh, where their current stuff plays. So mm -hmm. I think the first thing we can describe to people is uh, what is a good or better pitch is. So I always say that it would be a good pitch is the one with the correct location for the situation, meaning mm -hmm. the batter, what's on the field, uh, with what pitches you have that day. Uh, and the correct speed for the locate for the situation, and then a good movement. Uh, mm -hmm. What would you say makes a, a pitch good? Yeah, I, I think what makes a pitch good is is do you own it for one? Um, and I think one thing we try to teach our guys in our system is, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weapons? What what do you need to do to locate those pitches? Right. So what's your movement? What's your targeting strategy? And then ultimately, what do you need to do to go pitch and execute? And it's different for every guy. Um, I, I think back to your question and, and sort of the explanation too, it's it's building quality stuff, executing at a high level in tough environments. But I think the thing that we have now with the information and the feedback that we get, it helps us pinpoint what we need to do to enhance them, yeah. Uh, yeah. enhance their stuff, enhance their locations. 
Uh, but honestly, Wayne, I believe it limits the noise. There's so much noise out there for these guys of, uh, you know, they go on, they go on Twitter and it's, yeah, I see this big sweeping slider. I want that. Well, why, why do you want that? How's it going right, to fit? Maybe, personal? Right. It and, does, maybe it don't, it doesn't fit into your repertoire, you know? Exactly. Maybe you physically just, you cannot do that. Um, so this is the better route for your, your off-speed pitch or your slider. But at the end of the day, our, our job is to train them to be big leaguers. And, and I think with the resources that we have that out there with technology and feedback, uh, it, we can enhance that faster than ever. And you're seeing it. The player being Orion Kirkering, and he has a unique slider, um, but he moved really fast through our system. He pitched over four levels this year and then made his debut on Sunday night. Uh, we drafted him in the fifth round last year. And again, that's a testament to our scouting and uh, our player development, you know, keeping him on track with his plan, yeah. understanding him from a physical standpoint, uh, what he needs to do from a mental standpoint, and then giving the runway to go out there and, and execute with his stuff and, and understand who he is. And I think you're seeing that more and more across player development is there is a fast track to it um, to be able to, to bring guys up that are you know, premium talent that can help contribute at the big league level. So I think back to your question, like what makes a good pitch? Um, to me, if it has an identity that fits to you, uh, that you can throw it in any count, uh, that you can execute with it in a tough situation, and ultimately it, it can be, uh, for me, it's it's your bread and butter. It's what makes you you. So if it is a slider, if it is a cutter, um, if it is a unique fastball, uh, I think that's to me is what makes it a good pitch is that if it has an identity of its own. Yeah, and and then the other side of it is like, you know, Maddox would have said, uh, when some guys struggle, they throw harder. I just try to locate better, which to me is command. Uh, you know that sort of thing. And so when we talk about making a good pitch for that situation, I think a lot of it has to do with what you can command that day, and then knowing where to throw it based upon that, like the previous pitch or based upon what the batter flinched or didn't flinch or is hovering over the plate. Uh, I think that's an art as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a, a big part of it too is uh, your mentality. You're not always going to have your best stuff, like you said. So really we're back in Philly for us, it's, it's PHAH. And that's sort of our go-to like our mindset, our, our, our mentality can help lift our, our C stuff and take it to B stuff for that day. And I know I'm going to have to compete with a maybe lack of my best stuff, but I've got to find a way to get it done. And, and I think a lot of it becomes down into that mindset too of, okay, how am I going to navigate my way through at bats today? How am I going to get ahead today? Okay. I don't have my best fastball. So I maybe have to go to something else. And again, that goes back to that deliberate practice and that environment that we create where they can feel comfortable to that. And you talk about accountability, our pitching coaches do a tremendous job at every level of being creative and setting up that environment. So one thing we like to simulate a lot is at-bats, uh, putting them in situations. Hey, there's a runner on second. We've got one out and it's OO. How many OO counts can I win out of five right, pitches? There's, right. There's something on the line, right? So there, yeah, there's a task. There's a task at hand. And then a lot of times we'll challenge them too. We'll take away their best pitch and say, okay, you've got to get ahead with, let's say it's your slider. So I've got to throw it for a strike. You can't throw your best pitch in these five pitches, but you can only throw it once. So you have to pick your spot. 
And so again, you're developing, you're developing an arsenal. Um, you're learning how to pitch and navigate without your best stuff. And you're putting them in that environment that hopefully can carry over when it matters. It seems to me that with everyone throwing hard today, uh, command is really the separator at the upper levels. I, I've noticed mm -hmm. that uh, from double A up and I see that in the major leagues. Uh, do you feel the same way or what kind of really are the separators now? It used to be if you threw 95 and up, it was kind of rare, mm -hmm. uh, not so rare anymore. Very true. And I think there's a few factors to that. I think hitters now train hitting velocity so much, uh, yeah. hitting fastballs at the top of the zone. Um, I, I see it all the time. But we Some of our harder throwers like a Mick Abel or Andy Painter, uh, they'll be starting. And the team you know, that we're facing is they've got the machine out at 45 feet and it's it's peppering fastballs at 99 at the top of the zone because that's what they're going to see that night. So mm -hmm. I think when kids are training velocity, that's great. It raises the floor. But when it comes to their it's, fastball. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I think it's one quality you need, but yes. in absence of the others, you won't succeed. You know? Yeah, it, it's one piece of, you know, it's one piece of the pie. This is, is an important piece. Sure. But it's also understanding kind of back to the NOLA analogy. It's understanding what your fastball does. I can have a good fastball at 93. We've seen a lot of these guys with very good carry fastballs or a good sinking fastball. Um, but they also pair it with other stuff, but going kind of back to, back to the fastball that could have some cut to it, whatever it may be. Um, they use deception uh, in their delivery, in their arm swing, and that plays into where they deliver the baseball and how it flies. Right. So right. I, we, I think, we would, yeah, we, we can have a guy throwing 98, but it's straight. And you ask yeah. a hitter, what would you rather face? I'd rather face a guy throwing 98 straight than 93 that has some cut or some sink that's going to run in on my hands if I'm a righty. So, um, yeah, again, I think it, it, velocity is great to a certain extent, but you have to have other things to go along with it. It's, it's, it, but we're, we're also, Wayne, I, I think we're victims to that too, because as evaluators, and I remember this and, you know, re recruiting in junior college, we all carry a radar gun. Every scout carries a radar gun. Yeah, they don't have a command gun, separator, right? Yeah, right. We don't have the command gun yet. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, it, it's a big piece of the pie. And, and but we have to be able to develop those other pieces. And that just comes down again to, to self-awareness. But I think the other... The other piece to that too, you mentioned, you know, double A, triple A in the big leagues. I think the environment in triple A this year with the ABS was incredibly different and, and in low A as well. Um, it was incredibly difficult uh, for those guys. And, and well, I well, so we'll see, for example, my son, when he had it where he was a triple A last year, did fine. Mm -hmm. And actually yep. he got the first challenge uh, <laughs> right. in that thing. <laughs> Uh, but that's because he always trained to a target. So it was no different for him. Mm -hmm. Actually, when it was no ABS, it was actually worse because he would be right on the black and umps would miss that, especially mm -hmm. low in the zone. So but again, that's, that, I think, you know, we've, we've always had human ABS with umpires that have different zones as well, too. So yeah. when guys complain about it, I'm always like, okay, there, well, there's other umpires, too, that have different zones. Maybe it's not automated. Uh, but you have to be able to navigate that. You got to adjust. You got to adjust where you're throwing 100%. to what their zone is. Yeah, 100. percent Now it did. It did create some frustration at those levels this year. I know swing rates were way down. Uh, walk rates were way up. 
Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do moving forward, but like the environment was incredibly difficult, but then when you take a step back and look at it, it you kind of want it to be difficult because you know, where else it's difficult is the big leagues and being coming a big yeah. leaguer is difficult. <laughs> Staying in the big leagues is incredibly difficult. And then having a longstanding career is difficult as well. So, um, well, you, you know, you, you know, the saying, look at it, the more difficult, probably the better in the long run for their development. Yeah. This, the saying has been velocity may get you there. Command will keep you there. You That's know, true. that one. That's very true. Very true. Uh, I wrote an article with some guys uh, for Baseball Prospectus a few years ago called Robozone. And then I, as a, a side shoot to that, I wrote another article called The Universal Strike Zone. And I did that because I thought that if they were going to go with ABS, instead of having a machine measure the guy's shoulder and hip and nape of the knee and all that stuff, uh, I figured instead of the umpire being blamed for the wrong zone, you're going to blame the stringer, the guy who, <laughs> you know, like the stringer is going to get blamed for picking the wrong zone. And then the <laughs> software is going to get blamed. So I thought, let me analyze. Uh, there was thousands of uh, uh, guys from army data of what their dimensions were. And I calculated out what would be the universal strike zone for a six foot two batter. Mm-hmm. And that is what I made the target match. So, if they're using my target, it's actually a standard six foot two batter. Like it's the right height, the right width, mm-hmm. everything about it. And I always thought that if you're training to that zone, you're training to the zone you're going to have in a game. Yes. And an yeah, advantage so to me was that you're going to have a visual of the zone while you're practicing. Mm-hmm. Because normally if they use TrackMan or Hawkeye and they measure uh, the guy's balls and strikes or maybe trying to measure command, the pitcher does not have a visual of, of where you wanted to throw it. It only measures where he did throw it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I, I think a big thing in training, uh, you know, we talk about physical, but I think mental and visual is also key. So I know you had Sam Breen on here uh, a while ago. Uh, Sam's a good friend of mine in the business and he's done tremendous he's awesome. things with the Yankees. Um, and I know this because I feel like I saw for about a month straight, all of their affiliates this year, um, but we also <laughs> use, they, I know they use the box strings. We use strings, orange boxes. Yeah, I, I like them in. too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, giving a guy's a visual, how to navigate, enter, you know, my stuff, if it's off to in zone or in zone, off zone, um, how to navigate up, down, in, out, you know, giving them a visual target to be able to do that um, helps them. I think, and it does carry over. Um, yeah. and, and I think it, some guys don't like it. Why? Because it makes them uncomfortable. I, they I don't like it because it's be hard. Like I, I describe my son as not liking to drill to the target. All right. <laughs> and I would say to him, listen, uh, when you throw to a catcher, he moves the mitt all over the place. So you think you did great. Meanwhile, the, your spread pattern is like a foot around. <laughs> now, the plate's <laughs> 17 inches. You missed by 12 inches. All right. You don't have any command there. Uh, so, but also, you know, as a coach, we practice what's hard. Mm-hmm. So if it's hard, that means we have to practice it. And then when they get good at it, it's all right. Now it's something, I don't know, it's a better feeling. I don't know, the feeling when you've when you've overcome something that's hard, you know, that accomplishment, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of, you know, it's sort of cliche, but that is the process. And if, if you can give you know, very constructive feedback, 
you can show them. I think visual is key for a lot of these guys and, and showing them. And we all have it in the, at the pro level. And now it's even in the college level where we can sit down and go, hey, here's where you miss. I'm a right-handed pitcher. So here's where you miss against lefties in, you know, before two strikes. Okay. Now we can take a step back and go, is it something physical? Is it a rubber placement? Is it your targeting strategy? Is it how the ball is coming out of your hand? Are you are you corrupting that fastball in some way, shape, or form with the, the position of your hand or how it's coming out of your out of your finger? Um, with the cameras that we have, we can look at that. But even with heat maps, we can look at your miss pattern, where you land pitches, and we can give them that 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 visual feedback. But then we have to be able to yes identify that. But then we have to have a plan to be able to solve that problem, and yeah. you have to give them ownership in it too. I think so many times I learned this early on as a coach, like you feel you have the right answer and you sort of suffocate the, the pitcher with the answer and we have to go do this. They have to have autonomy and ownership to that too, but you have to be able to support them along the way with facts. And if you can give them that, 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 that learning curve and that development process is going to be expedited in my opinion. Yeah. Like one of the things I put in the target too was uh, when you miss your intended location, it gives you the misdirection. Mm -hmm. So as a coach or a player, you can look back at, I'm always missing arm side on my sliders that are away. Uh, I also put a thing in that I had trained with uh, the concept of good misses, meaning that if you're mm -hmm. going to uh, go for a certain spot in the zone, I want you to go to that spot but if you do miss, I don't want you to miss up here. You can miss down here. So you're executing your idea. Uh, do you train that kind of thing as well? Yeah, and don't don't tip your cards either. Uh, if if I do miss, don't show any emotion to that. Utilize that yeah. miss. Don't let the hitter know that you missed. Um, you know, act as if you did, and then utilize that miss. I think that's important too. And we, we're all all these pitchers. It seems they want to strive for that that perfect spot, that that perfection. And we all know it's an imperfect game. So giving them a, a runway to be able to understand, hey, this is also a game of poker. <laughs> um, you can't tip your hand. If I if I did miss, I don't want you to know that, and I have to be right. able to use that miss, even if it's not in this at bat. It could be later on as well when well, I need you're it. Gonna tell, to go yeah, yeah, you're going to give the batter too much info. It's kind of like. Uh, when the batter flinches or doesn't flinch or you you're reading his. So uh, a batter's reading you too. hundred percent. And that's, I remember that's that, that's, that goes back to that art of pitching, you know, that, that me versus you, you know, that, that arena that, that we all love to be in. But um, I think that's, it also goes back to if we can establish that with our younger pitchers uh, and, and teaching them in their routines and, and teaching them that craft, that emotional control, is going to pay off down the road when they are in those tougher environments at higher levels. Uh, I've been thinking lately uh, that there are two approaches for a pitcher. Uh, one can be reactive and the other is proactive. For example, the reactive I think is like you watch his flinch, uh, you watch what he does or doesn't do, and then you pitch based upon that. And the, the proactive to me is uh, I can start with a heat map from advanced scouting uh, but it also, also to me could be like, I'm talking about lately, I'm calling them pitch gambits, like two or three pitch, you know, so like you have these in your pocket, 
of like these two pitch pairs or or three pitch combos. Uh, do you guys ever do work on any of that kind of stuff? I think back to the proactive reactive, like, yeah, you always want to pay attention to what the hitter's trying to do, whether yeah. that's reading a swing or yeah, reading a reaction and then utilizing that. Even if it's not in that at bat and maybe later on uh, when you face him again in a tougher spot uh, and we'll make note of that, but we always want to be you know proactive. We always want to be on the attack and, yeah. And I, I think that's important too. We, we talk about it in our organization, like the, the, the case for OO and the importance of getting ahead. But I think there's Good. this fear yeah. out there of damage so early. And in the big leagues, I believe in 2021, you know, we ran it, I think 91% of the time, it was either ball back out or a strike. And, and there was very limited damage done in those counts. And so if we can sell out to that, and we can get ahead 0-1, the, the value of that changes so much in our favor as pitchers. And so we always want to be on the attack, on the on the offensive, and we want to be proactive in that because the more that we can get ahead, stay ahead, and get to those favorable counts to put guys away or to get the, the weak contact early on, which I always feel we have to discuss with younger pitchers. Like, that is okay. Getting weak I, contact I counts is okay. I've said that on many episodes that uh, my son is a sinker ball pitcher mainly. And if he goes out and it's three pitches and out of the inning, I'm screaming, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, now, I know they like to get strikeouts, but to me, for a starting pitcher, I prefer to have the most amount of outs with the least amount of pitches. For a reliever, <laughs> a reliever I would say, yeah, go for the strikeout, you know. Well, as a as a coordinator that's uh, managing innings and who's available and bullpens across all levels, yeah, I, I love when there's low pitch counts and a guy pitches deep. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Dan Duquette had said on an episode, the best ability is availability. It's true. And, and Sam Brand was saying that he preaches that as well. You know, and that's that's something that we preach to our guys, and I think that comes down to how we develop as an organization, and we take a very holistic approach. And so something we talk about a lot is being intentional and that isn't, Hey, throw as hard as I can or whatever, you know, intent yeah. being intentional is intentional in your craft, intentional in your practice and intentional in your, your lifestyle and taking care of your body, doing what you need to do. It's doing arm care and modalities and mobility isn't a sexy thing. And we all know that, but it's, if you go watch the best of the best, most of them, Right. are very tedious in how they go out their work ethic. They are yeah, you... relentless and yeah. they they are very systematized in how they go about their day and how they go about their practice in between outings. And, and I, I'm fortunate enough, I've, I've been able to work a lot of our big league spring trainings and I, I do more observing than coaching in those settings, but yeah. um, to watch an, an Aaron Nola or a Zach Wheeler and the feedback that they're giving to the catcher and asking for from the catcher, um, at we whether it's using strings, you know, Nola, like, hey, I'm gonna get this below the below the string. Okay. Now this next one, I'm gonna get it slightly above the string. And they'll dot it. And again, it's that deliberate practice. And um I, I, everything that goes into that though is the weight room. You know, you want to develop command, you want to develop control, get in the weight room, you know, develop control of your body, develop strength. And I'm not saying they need to look muscular and you know, just you know, like Hulk Hogan or something like that, but they need to have that body control 
uh, to withstand uh, over a course of five, six, seven innings for, for starters and then relievers to be able to do it, you know, in the big leagues, they expect back-to-backs three out of four nights. And so again, back to that, um, the best ability is availability. A lot of that comes down to what you want to do, the want to, and, and do the, do the little things that are really, really important. Yeah, I think Ricky Meinhold was describing the other day about uh, DeGrom and how mm-hmm. focused and intent he was. And I've seen that, too. It's like the the guys are really, really good. Focus on uh, – we talk about like a Dan Hefner debut. They, they focus on doing the little things right and the big things get done right. Pay attention to all the little things. They do matter, you know? Well, if you ever want to run a college baseball program, I, w- I, would, I would visit Dallas Baptist – any day of the week, Dan, yeah. Dan, phenomenal, uh, former players I had at NIAC have played for Dan. They absolutely mm-hmm. loved him and, and not just the person that he is, but how he went about developing guys. Both the the, the culture he sets there. Yes. Yes. He it, just it's sets the culture and he sets, and we talked about Eric Brown setting a tone for your players and your coaches that, that kind of permeates and carries through without you having to do anything that culture gets pushed forward. And I'm sure you're doing the same thing with your pitching coaches as a coordinator. You're doing the similar kind of thing. You're setting the tone, the culture, you know, the expectations. Yeah. People, people ask all the time, like, what is your role as a coordinator? And that there, there's a lot of, a lot of hats that you wear and, and a lot of certain things that you oversee. And, and one of those is very cliche sort of coaching the coaches. Um, oh, and, it's true. I think one thing that we lean on heavily is our staffs at every affiliate and every level. And we're very, uh, we, we have systems and processes in place to track information and goals, but the players see that they feel that and our coaches and, and our staffs at those levels are the caretakers. They, they drive that development. They drive that message and players feel that. And when they're speaking the same language and the staff knows what their goals are, there's more buy-in from, from those players. And so my job then is to make sure that that is happening when I go in and visit, but it, it helps promote creativity and there's no right or wrong in how we go about this. So our coaches do a good job, again, setting the environment, working with these guys during the ups and the downs and minor league baseball is incredibly difficult. It, it's a difficult environments. Um, it's a long season and wow. there, there's a lot of ups and downs and our coaches have to be the caretakers to that, and they do a phenomenal job. Uh, I mentioned it in another episode, that another lesson that uh, my son had learned from Dan Hefner at DBU. And uh, I'll say it again. Some people want to say, why do you keep repeating it? But I think it's important. Um, at Juco, he wasn't rooting for the other pitchers, and he wasn't rooting against them. You're kind of competing for a position, much like you're going to do in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. But at DBU, we kind of learned, okay, well, you have to tr- really go behind all of your players, buy in to help them, support them, cheer for them, help them. And by doing that, they in turn do that for you, and it brings everybody up. And then when he carried that through into the minor leagues, he was saying everybody wants to succeed. It's hard. They're all worried about I had a bad outing, I had a good outing. And if you only focus on you, it's going to be a long minor league career, but he's focused on his other teammates. He actually really cheers for them. He likes them. He wants to help them. 
and it makes his experience in the minor leagues so much better. And then in turn, they do the same and make their ex his experience better. Uh, I think that's a, another kind of culture thing, but also a, uh, well, yeah, it's it's kind of learned what kind of players you have in your system, right? It's character building. Uh, that, that does go a long way. You ask any manager at any level, uh, they want good characters in the clubhouse. And, and again, they want to have that clubhouse accountability. But I think also uh, you'll see it when you come around to, to watch our bullpens. Our pitchers are around and they are watching and they are giving feedback. Um, they're working together and sort of like taking the coach out of the picture. Uh, they're helping each other. And that does go a long way in their career. And that's, that's a big part of our standard in our organization. And there, there was an article that came out uh, from Alex Coffey. Uh, she's a Philly beat writer. And she did it on our, our Clearwater Threshers team, our low A team, who had one of the best records in minor league baseball this year. And awesome. when that group loved to compete. They, they loved to play, but they loved each other. And that yeah. played on the field. They supported one another. And when a guy would get called up, they all celebrated it. And eventually about 80, 85% of that roster moved up at some point. And so again, that's a culture builder right there. And I think that helps guys stay accountable, uh, stay disciplined. Uh, it helps in what we talked about earlier in failing forward. And when you're a good clubhouse guy and a good teammate, that's going to go a long way. And then we're in this day and age now where roster sizes in minor league baseball are shrinking. And mm -hmm. a lot of times like being a good dude, being a good teammate, being a hard worker might keep you around a little bit longer. Yeah, because it's a it's a force multiplier, you know. When you so, have guys like that, it multiplies their talent. It's a multi it's a talent multiplier, you know. Well, and uh, listen, winning in minor league baseball isn't everything. Um, it was really cool this year to see we had three of our our minor league teams, one of the uh, the Dominican Summer League, our our both of our A ball teams played in the playoffs nice. and two other clubs were in the hunt uh, for a playoff spot to where they near. So playing meaningful baseball. Right. And you look at our big league club, making it to the world series last year, clinching a yeah. playoff spot again, the other night, they've got things rolling in the right direction. Uh, I, I think that all stems back to, again, the standard that we have in place and, and holding everyone accountable, staying disciplined, being there for each other, uh, showing up and putting in the work and, and loving to compete and thriving on competition. We saw a major difference in that this year. And, and it was in Baseball America last week. And again, winning isn't everything, but it's a byproduct of our standards and our beliefs. We were second in minor league baseball and win percentage. I think we were 20th last year. It was the biggest turnaround in all of minor league baseball. And that's awesome. something that we credit our entire organization for. Thank you. I know what they say winning isn't everything and in, in all that, but and they say go you want to go by the process and, and stick with your process. But I am always about winning. It's like, and to me, the way to measure your process is at some point you have to measure if you won. So I can see in the middle of your process, you might not be that concerned about winning, but uh, maybe I'm old school or something, but I, I, I always think, I, I back to this uh, cartoon I was sending around where the guy is saying that his spin rate is 3,900 RPMs, his velo was 97.2, and on the iPad, and then the guy next to him says, well, did you win? And then he looks up, it doesn't say anything. It's like, to me, it's like, 
all that tech, all the data, all the analysis, it's really important and it really helps you towards the goal of winning, meaning that the goal isn't to have the highest spin rate. The goal is to win the pitch, to win the game, you know, and I think you know that more than anybody, especially because you had to win at JUCO when you had no tools, no tech, no anything. So I know that's ingrained in you, you know? Well, the guy with the 3,900 spin rate throwing 97, we'd love to sign him. Um, <laughs> but I think what's that acronym you know, for win? It's what's important now. And that goes back to our standards. If, if you win, if you win the day with your arm care, your strength and conditioning, um, your bullpen, whatever it may be, that at bat, hey, you came in and got us, you know, three huge outs. Uh, I remember last year, uh, Michael Plasmeyer pitched six innings in the last game of the season for our big league team. And that was that was huge for them because they didn't have to burn any relievers. It helped set us up going into the series against St. Louis with with a rested bullpen, full slate, you know, all hands on deck. And that like that helped us win. And as something as minor as that uh, is a huge win for our, our organization because he went in, got the job done. Well, yeah, I always say it's a team win no matter what. Like I had Dan DeQuette on and he was saying he values the win for a pitcher. And I said, yeah, that's old school. But to me, it's like the pitcher never won. To me, the pitcher can only keep the team in the game and the team still has to win. No matter what, you're not catching the ball. You're not fielding the ball. You're not hitting the ball. So you're pitching. So to me, it's always a team win. Uh and you do your part, you know, you fill in your role. And if everybody fills their role in, like you just said, the guy coming in to relieve, he plays an important role that helps the team. Everybody helps the team win, you know? Yeah. And we, I think one thing that we've sort of prided ourselves on, um, you know, teams are going toward whether it's a piggyback or, you know, a tandem, you know, to develop value. Um, you know, one thing that we've really worked hard on is developing durable starters. Um, and I feel like they're coming, whether it's a Mick Abel, of course, Andy Painter had a setback this year uh, with an injury, Griff McGarry. Uh, there, there's some that are coming, but I think being able to develop that durability, you know, what's it going to take to be durable two times through the order, three times through the order, and allowing them to go deep in games. A lot of teams, ourselves included sometimes, there's a fear behind that just because there's so much value at stake with some of these guys and the money that you give them. You know, the more that they pitched, you know, that's there's there's more risk of injury. Uh, we feel if we can develop that from a physical standpoint, uh, we can develop that durability over time. Uh, Mick Abel, one of our top pitching prospects, back-to-back -back seasons of over 100 innings, over 110 innings, I believe, and did that from start to finish with zero setbacks. That's a huge win for, for us and our organization because now yeah. that means in time, as soon as he gets to the big leagues, you have this durable workload behind him for multiple seasons, that's going to pay dividends down the road and hopefully help us win in the future. Yeah. I think a, a, an interesting thing came up the other day with Ricky Meinhold. Uh, he went for a year with the Latte Giants mm -hmm. in Korea. And I asked him what was the difference in how they trained. Uh, and that you trained for volume. And they tend to be more durable pitchers. So I'm wondering, mm -hmm. is it the lower volume that has made pitchers less durable? Or he also said they throw slower. So we're throwing faster. So maybe we're pushing the envelope. So 
maybe it's a combination of those. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that. And and I I listened to Ricky's podcast as well too with you and it's phenomenal. And I, I know Ricky on a personal level. And it's interesting because awesome. I've had those conversations. We're looking at different cultures of pitching, correct? Um yeah. and I think that's something when it you know goes back into your command control, like how do you train it? I think guys struggle, especially more loose body type guys, loose arm type guys, they struggle training at sub-maximal intent. So again, having to throw slower to develop better feel. When I do that, maybe I can do more over time in that training session because we do want to be cognizant of workload. Uh, we do want to help these guys understand what a recovery day looks like, what a moderate throwing day looks like, what a what a what a heavy throwing day looks like. But I think guys trying to train at sub-maximal intent is really, really difficult. Um, ways that we've sort of combated that, you'll, you'll see guys from very close range struggle to, to locate, uh, to, to hit their partner you know, at a certain location. Uh, this is where different implements and weighted balls, whether they get a bad rap or not, um, I think you can use weighted balls to your advantage in, in, in lower sub-maximal intent to develop feel. Uh, it develops that kinesthetic awareness of where my arm and body is at in space, and it can help guys put things together. And so we're not using that for a velocity training component. We're really using that for feel and, and a command component and just an, yeah, I, I really like that you an said awareness that. component. Because I, I was saying with Sam is that I think that teams ought to have, you have a day where you're airing it out, trying to get high velo. For sure. Uh, just like leg day, shoulder, you know, upper body day, you know, another day where you're working on the shapes of your pitches. And I think there ought to be another day where you're working on command mm -hmm. and maybe another day for just control with speed. You know, like, I, I think that the, the bars for all the different levels that a pitcher needs haven't all been raised up. It's only been velo and the younger guys have spent time just ignoring some of the things they really do need. And what happens is I see what happens. They go into the minor leagues and I'm sure you've seen this. The first, you know, a few levels, they do well, they blow guys away with high velo and they get to mm -hmm. double a, and all of a sudden, even though they're throwing 98, they get released. Yep. Cause they've neglected all the other things from character to command to mental toughness. You know, what are your yeah. takes on that? No, I, that's a great point. And, and one thing, you know, again, uh, how you're saying, how do you train command or, you know, there should be a day dedicated to that. And you buy my target. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one. There, there's your plug. Um, but no, I think one thing that we've changed from just a kind of systematic standpoint is flat grounds over mound time. And we're not saying flat grounds are bad. Um, guys like to use flat grounds at the end of catch play to develop that feel. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is there's different times for different things you're working on. Yeah. Yes, but one thing we've um, one thing we've encouraged a lot more is can we substitute some of that flat ground work? This is more and more gained toward relievers, uh, but also starters in some regard. Because in minor league baseball, with the universal off day, it does help. A lot of these guys are starting once a week, so there's more time in between to be able to get on the mound and practice at sub maximal intent. So using that with our relievers and whether you want to call yeah. it a touch feel, a short box. We encourage getting on the slope more. Why? It's a completely different environment from the flat ground, but you also have to be able to have control of your body in a sub-maximal intent. You're not going to go 100% here. So this is where we can use technology to leverage 
a VLO threshold and get them to understand like, hey, I can help feel and command certain things even at a lower velocity um, to work my way around the zone and hopefully develop that command um, and being able to practice a little bit more because it is hard. We have to be cognizant of workload, stress that we put on the arm and the body, what their, what their recent workload is, um, or you know, if they do it too much, there is that risk of injury and, and being on the IL. And again, it goes back to you know, what's the, the best ability is availability. We want to keep them available. Uh, but we have to set up that environment for them to be able to practice that. So we're totally on that. Um, you know, yeah. being able to practice that at sub-maximal intent uh, to develop that field. Yeah. Did you watch the episode with uh, Casey Mulholland? Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. Yeah, because he was talking about trying to manage workload between guys throwing flat ground or long toss and what kind of he could take some from long toss to move them into mound work. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we actually, when guys were doing like compression throws or pull downs on a heavier intent day, we started when they did their pull downs, we started instead of going to a net, um, we haven't started doing it with a stand in, uh, whether it was a person like, Hey, you're struggling. Hey, I'm left-handed. I'm struggling getting this fastball, you know, to a certain location versus lefties. Hey, let's put them in an environment where they have to get after it, but they have that visual feedback. So there is some accountability to one higher intent, but also accountability to where I'm throwing this. So from a co yeah, control huge, yeah. standpoint. Yeah, we were talking about what makes a, a elite pitcher nowadays. And I 100% believe it's it's a velocity with command. And if you add movement in with that too, and you add all these other qualities, I have a list. Uh, it's nine things. I'm sure you've seen it in the shows yep. where I ask guys, what your top four are. And at some point I'm going to release, you know, what all the different, you know, values were. I just want to see what people value. And just because it's the pitching command show, you don't have to pick command. It's just, I want to know what your opinion is and what you think is important. Well, I think you look at that list and you could probably tie in a lot of those together as one. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. earlier. Who are you? What's your why? Like, why are you doing this? What's your character, right? And I think a, a lot of times your character plays into your makeup on the mound um, yeah. because it's it's not so much what you're doing in competition. It's what you're doing in between that. And how are you learning? How are you growing? So I think, you know, character and who you are is really important. And then that also comes down to self-awareness. And uh, Charlie Manuel, the great manager in our organization, always said, know thyself. And that's a yeah. big part of our development process. That, is knowing your true. Yeah. 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 Identifying your weaknesses. Um, and being able to enhance those, you know, it's very cliche, but 1% better each and every day. Yeah, um, yeah you always say, says that too. They have a thing that's like a sign, 1% yeah. better. Yeah. And, and it's, it's I don't true. think a lot of people really understand that, uh, which to me, it means uh, you're not competing against this other pitcher. You're competing against you from yesterday. Am I better? Am I a better version of myself than I was yesterday? Right. You know? I, I use the example if if they it, again at our at our complex in Clearwater during spring training, a lot of times the big leaguers will come over uh, because we don't have like a designated minor league side, major league side. Um, they, they know Zach Wheeler will have to come over and throw a bullpen, and I think Ruben Amaro might have tweeted this out last spring training, but there was probably about 50 minor leaguers around the bullpen. Yeah, you're going to watch what he does, right? And it was it was phenomenal. And you see how the best of the best do it. 
And I think that's really cool. But what you'll see uh, when when they're in there is the the feedback that they give and 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 again how they navigate that with their catcher, what they want to do. There's a deliberate practice behind it. So I think again that comes back to the character more than anything. Um, and then you know you you say sequencing or changing speeds and movement. To me, those are all kind of all encompassing. Um, being able to, you know, how do I navigate around the zone? How do I go on to off, off to on? And how do I change speeds? Where do I change speeds? And I think something that we try to educate our guys is, you know, splitting it up very simply, like before two strikes and two strikes, where am I going? How am I getting there? And, and when am I going to do that? And, and I think that's really important uh, when you're developing that arsenal and knowing yourself and, Again, I, I go back to the velo thing. It, yeah, I mean, there are guys that we have velo goals for them because we want to raise the floor. But, hey, yeah, I can throw 97. That's great. Can you hold 97? Can you hold it for five innings? Can you hold it for seven innings? Can you be that guy all the time? But what's or, unique or like, about you? Or yeah, like Emo says, what's your useful velocity? Exactly. Well, yeah, I don't, yeah, you can throw 98. But if you just land it on the backstop all the time, it's, it's not useful. You know? Very ineffective. They're not going to last no. very long. Um, so uh, yeah. Dan Duquette put it really well. He, when I showed him this list, he was saying, well, yeah, it's kind of like you could be a chef. You could pick four or five things out of these, and you can make a finesse pitcher, and you can make a power pitcher, or you can make a combo pitcher. So I tried to make the list with qualities that every pitcher should have, and then you could take qualities out and maybe configure the different pitchers that you might have in your staff. And I think there's there's one word that I would use there, and it's it's uniqueness. Um, one thing that's really important is unique stuff and how they utilize that, and whether that's arm yeah. slots, whether that's size of the pitcher, uh, where they release it, what the pitch looks like, the movement of it. I think those are all really really important. But it just comes down to how unique can you be, and you look at the big leagues these days, and observing it from afar, we're, we're trying to develop uniqueness. We don't want to develop like stock and standard. Um, right. We want to develop exactly. unique stuff that can get big league hitters out consistently and and help our big league team win and be in the postseason every year. Yeah, you definitely have to find out who you are and you have to become great at it. And uh, I think in my first book I was describing is that you don't want to be average. Everything mm -hmm. you do has to be outside of average so that, you know, batters are training to hit average. So – you don't want to be average movement, average speeds, you know, everything. Be an outlier. Uh, so for, so for uh, people who are listening, I'm just going to say the, the nine items, which is character, command, changing speeds, movement, max velocity, sequencing, reading batters, mental toughness, and know who you are. And so we want to see what, what is your number one, two, three, and four? Uh, again, I go back to the character. Um, who you are, uh, the person yeah, that you like are, that. the competitor that you are, what, who are you when you're not your best, uh, when right. you're down, when the chips are down. We always talk about going in the foxhole. Who would I go in the foxhole with? Um, who's going to have my back and, and who, you know, who, who do I want to have their back? And I think it, it's who you are when, when, when it isn't going well. Um, and, and again, I think it, command is, is incredibly important. You know, being able to throw the ball with your stuff, uh, four strikes, knowing when to expand. You know, we always talk about how to how to create strikes. I mean, hitters are good these days. They're disciplined. 
but we've got to be able to go and create strikes. And again, it goes back to that yeah. uniqueness and sequencing and, um, you know, using misses to our advantage, but we've got to be able to go create strikes. Um, yeah. So that's where I play movement and changing speeds is, is really important. And then that sort of that effective velocity, but unique ball flight, um, you know, I think unique fastballs uh, in today's game, and that's where ball tracking technology can be used to our advantage. If we've got a unique heater, we want to sell out to that thing. Yeah. Uh, if we like, don't have a like unique Rivera. heater. Yeah, yeah. Mariano Rivera made a hell of a career with a unique yeah. cut fastball, the cutter. Yeah. Um, and it can be done. And yeah, he had different variations of that pitch throughout his career. But and then it, he taught he, he taught it to Halliday. They got all mad at him. Look what Halliday did. <laughs> that's too, right. right. That's right. That was good for the Phillies. Um, but yeah, I think if you again, it's also knowing yourself too and not trying to be somebody else and what knowing what makes yeah. you unique. And um, you know, we we have some in our organization that are very unique heaters. Now we have to teach them how to pitch with that, how to get guys out with that and utilize the other weapons to make that pitch even better. So that's our job. And, um, you know, we'll continue to, to do that, do our, to our best of our ability. Yeah. I, I think you've done a fantastic job there. I, I could see the results and uh, I couldn't agree more with the, the know who you are so that you're not, if you go in there, you're standing next to uh Chapman throwing 103, uh, but you're not a power pitcher and you try to be like him, you're not going to be the best version of you. Good luck. No. Exactly. exactly. And it's, and it's kind of like when I see people online, just, uh, you know, they're, they're working hard, trying to throw harder. And I, I think it matters. I think it's important, but I don't think throwing hard is the right thing for everyone. I think there are different pitchers with different skills. And no if you never bother to train them, you will never know how good you could have been at your game, you know? Very true. Very true. You know? Uh, Travis, thank you so much. This has been a great show. I love talking with you. I uh, appreciate it, Wayne. Uh, one, I, I commend you for doing this because I've listened to almost every episode and I, I'm a sponge when it comes to information and the, the, the guys that you've interviewed are phenomenal. Uh, so much experience in the game and different walks of life, but like this is growing the game. And I think talking about something that we don't talk about enough uh, yeah, is command. You. And I, I think you, you have these platforms to be able to, I, I've learned something from every, every, every interview that you've done and oh, that's, awesome. that's growing the game. And I, I appreciate that. I know there's hundreds of people, thousands of people in the baseball industry that appreciate what you do. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and the funny thing is the more episodes I'm doing, I thought I'd invite like maybe 10 of my friends to go on the show and they two would want to be on. Well, they all said they want to be on and then they invited other friends and I got people that I won't say the names. You wouldn't believe who's coming on some of these people. And I look forward uh, I'm not going to ask. Yeah. I'm not asking them the same kind of questions about certain pitchers and certain, it's like, I want to know how you can become a great pitcher and not just talk about velocity. I want to talk about all things. I, I'm going to, the premise has always been, yes, you need velo. But the other things, they don't get talked about enough. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and explaining that. Uh, thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm lucky and I'm blessed to do what I do because we have a tremendous organization. The Phillies are first class. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of smart people in our organization that help make our players look really, really good. And, and it, it takes a village, man. And uh, I know, you know we're, we're doing things 
the right way uh, we feel like, and it's the most important thing it's happening at our big league level. And, and we hope we can make another deep run this year. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Welcome to the Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com.